Welcome to Into the Breach, a reps and warranties policy podcast by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer, partners and co-leaders of the Transactional Underwriting Council practice at Cyforth Shaw, interviewing leaders from the industry and exploring the latest developments, market trends, and news impacting RWI and the transactional risk insurance markets. Well, hello and welcome to the latest edition of Into the Breach. I'm Brian O'Keefe and joined by my co-host Jenna Usenheimer. How are you this morning, Jenna? Actually, I think I have a cold, so that kind of stinks. I <clears throat> have and a cold ease that I'm in my mouth right now. So glad it's you're perfect. far away from me then if you have a cold. So uh-huh. you know, it's not. You know. I take I've taken two COVID tests so far, it's negative. So we'll see. Hopefully we keep that streak going. So, uh, so it's Hopefully. it's actually an important it's actually an important special day today on Into the Breach. I said uh, uh, I, I would I would give a shout out here. Today is uh, actually April the third, and it is my mother's birthday today. So happy I wanted birthday. to give a shout out. What'd you say, Jenna? I said happy birthday to Mrs. O'Keefe. Happy birthday to Mrs. O'Keefe. I wanted to give her a shout out. Um, I can't say that she is. Uh, an avid listener of the show, but perhaps, <laughs> perhaps she will listen to this episode and at least listen to the first couple minutes here while I, you know, gave her a shout out and, and paid her some tribute here. So, um, yeah, my parents are still trying to figure out how this isn't title insurance. So I understand. I, I, my mother has also uh, asked me very similar questions. So, um, <laughs> well, well, we are we are very delighted today to have the true mother of them all, uh, broker in the reps and warranty industry uh, on our show. Uh, the one and only Matt Hines is joining hey. us today. We are just so delighted to have Matt here. Uh, he's been a friend of our practice and a friend of our of our pod, and we're happy to finally get him on the pod today. And he's going to be talking about um, the secondaries area, which is an area that uh, has been very active, and he's been a very important player in that space. So thank you very much for joining us, Matt. We're really delighted to have you. Yes. Hey, guys. Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. Very much uh, looking, for, looking forward to the chat this morning. I feel right. like you well, have been our most sought-after guest who for so long was <laughs> not being on the podcast. <laughs> Well, I, I do have I do have a face for radio, so um, <laughs> I've I've used that wow. line a million times on conference calls, and uh, little do, little do my clients know that it's actually true. So. <laughs> true. Well, well, anyway, we welcome really, today. We're happy to have you. Yeah, we're really delighted to have you here, Matt. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I think you'd have to be living in a cave to be in this industry and, and not aware of uh, who Matt Hines is, but. Perhaps for maybe some of our uh, younger brokers, your underwriters, or people who are new new to the industry, if you want to uh, just give a little bit of background about yourself and uh, uh, how you got involved in this industry. Sure, and and flattery will get you everywhere, obviously. So thank you for the, for the kind words. But um, it, my my career has been one of um, really good fortune and luck and, and timing. Um, I started my career as a, as a uh, corporate lawyer, Proskauer in New York. Um, practice for about five years from 03 to 08. I got a call from a recruiter at the end of 2007 asking about um, joining an unnamed insurance company um, to underwrite something called rep and warranty insurance. It was no longer a legal practicing role, but rather a hybrid um, business role with, you know, sort of um, leverage on my my legal experience, my legal training. So 
Um, early 2008, I made that jump, uh, joined AIG um, as an underwriter. Folks like Jay Ritberg, Jen Richards, Emily Pollack were all my colleagues at the time. It was a really amazing group of people um, to be sort of surrounded by and, and, and to learn from at that stage. Um, you know, the, the, the tricks of the trade and, and, and you know, the business model. Um, did that for about two and a half years, um, did a big deal with Aon in 2010. We went out to celebrate the broker at the time, uh, gave me you know, sort of a wink at lunch and said, we're hiring on the brokerage side. If you're interested, I followed him up on that, moved over to the brokerage side in 2010, uh, wound up being at Aon for 10 years. Ultimately had a really, really great run. Uh, we built an amazing practice an amazing business at Aon from 2010 to 2020. Um, so we saw really, that was where I really saw right, the growth of all of this. The time at AIG was kind of the, the crucible back then. And there was some stuff that happened during the financial downturn that uh, led our product to be much more uh, saleable and appealing to clients coming out of the downturn than it was pre. Uh, but over those 10 years at Aon, we really took off like a rocket ship. It was very fun to be a part of and very fun to watch. I wound up moving over to Lockton in early 2021. A couple of my colleagues had moved over you know, a month and a half or so before me. Uh, looked at the opportunity to join a private company and do something a little bit different and, and kind of run it back, right? Um, uh, joined a, a private company with that entrepreneurial spirit and sort of platform that we looked at, uh, you know, for a long time as being really interesting. Uh, it's something that, you know, if, um, uh, you know, with our sort of, um, you know, approach to doing deals and approach to the business sort of coupled with their um, reach and, and private equity client base, it could just could be really interesting. Um, and ultimately, uh, that wound up coming to fruition. We've got a big team now locked in. We're doing a ton of deals. Um, I think we may be, this is a shameless, shameless plug, but we, I think we might've done more deals than anybody last year, just in terms of volume. We have a little bit of a lower, uh, you know, sort of average, uh, limit per deal. Our, our clients are really mid market. We're starting to swim upstream and tackle some bigger clients as well, but the volume has just been tremendous. I mean, it's, it's been a really, really good start and we're just very excited. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. And we, yeah, we can well, say, I, you. we see you guys on opposite us on plenty of deals. So I think just yeah. add to it, right, that you are right up there for sure. Yeah. And I think it's been really amazing what you have built in a very short period of time, Adam. I think it really is a strong testament to the team you've been able to build in the approach that you have um, and your standing within the industry. And, and we know that um, uh, kind of going along with that point that, uh, a lot of deals that you've been working on uh, in the last few years have been secondary deals, and that's going to be the topic today. Um, and really, this incredible market that, that uh, I think you've been very instrumental in being able to build and, and, and create, getting the, create yeah. yes, getting the reps product on the secondary uh -huh. deals. So perhaps just um, if you want to maybe start off by just talking a little bit about what we even mean by secondaries um, transactions. I think there's sometimes some. Uh, Different views about what what sort of is encompassed here, but in, and where the product, what sort of secondary deals we've been seeing the product offered on um, today? Sure, I mean there are a bunch of different flavors of secondaries, but the one that we see most frequently is a GP led, um, or the one that most frequently features insurance. Not the only one that features insurance, but the one that most frequently features insurance is the GP led secondaries deal, where you basically have a sponsor um, mm -hmm. who wants to. Uh, elongate or prolong its access to and sort of management of one of its portfolio companies. And so rather than sell the portfolio company on the open market, um, the GP will go to the secondaries market and kind of, you know, have uh, its cake and eat it too, where you can have new secondaries market capital come in, uh, allow the GP to permit some of its LPs to cash out at that stage. Most of these deals 
are deals uh, where the portfolio companies perform well, and there's already been some accretive growth. And so LPs are in a position to cash out at that point with a solid return. Uh, but other LPs may want to, you know, continue to hitch their wagon to the GP and stay involved in the deal for a longer period of time and hopefully continue to grow the business over another several years before a more traditional exit. So there's a whole market of, of lead investors and secondaries capital that facilitate those deals from the quote unquote buy side. Um, and again, they come in, fund what's called a continuation vehicle or a continuation fund that effectively serves as the acquirer in the deal, buys the portfolio company um, from the existing fund. The sponsor, the GP, the interesting part of this is the GP is kind of on both sides of the deal, right? Because they're already managing the asset and they're going to continue to manage the asset uh, once the continuation fund completes, completes the transfer. But again, the benefit is you have a bunch of LPs who may be very happy at that stage to take their chips off the table and cash out. And the sponsor gets to you know continue to manage the deal and continue to drive growth. My understanding, so we did our first one in 2019. My understanding is historically, going back 10 or 15 years even, a lot of GP-led deals were for zombie portfolio companies, right? Or, or assets that were not performing well. And so uh, it was kind of a last resort, Hail Mary, to go to the secondaries market to try to get a new capital infusion into those port coasts and, and give the GP a little bit more time to try to turn, turn the tide. <laughs> Most, if not all, the deals that we do these days are like crown jewel assets. Like they've just performed so well. And the GP says, why am I giving this up? Why am I you know, selling this now when I could theoretically make more money? Um, convert some of my carry, if I, you know, I'm in a carry position on the deal into effectively an LP interest go forward in in a continuation fund, um, and and hopefully you know shoot shoot for the moon. Um, and so that's what we're seeing now, and that's part of the allure I think to our underwriters. There's a bunch of stuff that we can talk about about the structure of the deal and the way the reps are structured, but um, certainly from an economic perspective and a performance perspective, these are really really good assets that are hitting the market. And that's what we want to talk to you about. Like, why is this such a good risk for insurers? Why is this different from a regular buyout deal? And you know, how can you help some of the, our listeners get comfortable with this kind of Sure, structure? sure. So, I mean, and, and this goes back, I mean, the first one of these that we did was in 2019, and we were asking ourselves the same question when we did that deal. Why, why would somebody want to insure this, number one? More importantly, why would a client want to buy insurance on, on this sort of deal? Because if it's a lower risk and, and there's a lesser diligence package and, and, and all that sort of thing, is there utility for this? So the bottom line is this is different than a traditional buyout, mostly based on you know, two factors. First, um, the, the scope of the reps that are being provided, right? Regular way buyout we do, you're gonna get very general, or, or not very general, very granular reps around operations, portfolio companies, financial statements, and so forth. Uh, most GP-LEDs that we do, you don't have that same level of ground up, um, you know, uh, first dollar sort of wrap around financial statements and, and you know, the rest of the operational risks. It's, it's really tied to the general partner's knowledge, right? Most of those reps are qualified by the knowledge of the GP. So it's effectively a GP fraud policy, right? When you boil it down, in order for there to be a claim around something operationally amiss at the portfolio company, the GP would have had to have known about it at the time of the deal. Right. Um, coupled with that on the buy side, and that's, again, there's a lot of stuff here that we could talk about. I'm just, I'll try to keep it. I don't want to bore you guys for like hours and hours and hours. <laughs> um, no, on the buy no, side, <laughs> Brian's already asleep. I, I generally kick you on the table to wake you up just now. Um, uh, on, on the lead investor side though, to go along with those lighter reps, because you know it's just a lighter sort of package, there's just not as much diligence done historically. It's not the full Q of E, legal report, IT, everything else. 
So when we first did, again, when we did our first one, we approached the lawyers and the bankers who were on that deal. And we said, we think this could be replicable, or you tell us if this is replicable, if there's a need for it, if they're all going to work this way, right? Limited set of reps, coupled with limited diligence. Um, if, if we can you know, manage that combination of deal features and come to a really reasonable price for this, um, we could, and the point of all of it at the end of the day is to selling LPs to get out of a deal without indemnification obligations or significant indemnification obligations coupled with a holdback. That's always been the driver of rep insurance was like to make a deal more efficient, right? When you get to closing, sellers don't have to leave money behind to support potential breach claims. In this case, it would be the selling LPs having money held back for a year or more in support of those lighter reps that are being given, uh, but it, they're still holding money back, right? It's, it's, it's you know the same outcome. And if we can eliminate that outcome with insurance, that's a, that's a good deal for everybody. Absolutely. And so since you brought up pricing, why don't you talk a little bit about what the pricing looks like on the deal? How it's different? Sure. Yeah, I won't get too too detailed on it just because I'm always concerned about putting a, yeah. a flag in the ground at any given moment in time on pricing because it's so fluid. I can tell you that relative to the buyout market, which is moving yeah. up and down, you know, pretty with some volatility now itself, more more down than up at the moment, but yeah. Um, it, it rates on, on GP LEDs in particular, LP transfers, GP stakes, those, those are different animal, but on GP LEDs, which again, are the ones that we do most frequently should be running anywhere from 75 basis points to hundred basis points cheaper, I think, than the buyout market. Um, just because the risk is so much different and the risk is so much lighter. And this should be a, hopefully a very low claims, um, frequency environment. If there is a claim, it's going to be a real one, right? It's going to be very severe. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping the frequency is even a little bit lighter than the frequency that we see on, uh, you know, on the buyout side. Now, there's some uh, some features in there that can impact pricing. Whether we have excluded obligations added in, um, who are we covering? You know, we always have a discussion at the outset with our clients around who's actually being covered here within the continuation vehicle. Who do we need to have covered? Whether excess pricing or pardon me, excess coverage would be um, needed, and what's the pricing for that? Um, so there there can be a pretty wide variance, but. Bottom line is it should be roughly a percentage point cheaper than the regulated buyout market. Yeah. And there, there, there are some carriers that have really, I'm sorry, Brad, just there's some carriers that are really focused on this. It's very competitive out there right now, right? And there's um, repeat customers that we've seen on the lead investor side. Um, I'm not gonna say that we have a quote unquote proprietary solution out there right now, but I can tell you that we get very, very good pricing and very cheap pricing. And um, we, we've, I, I think, led the market pretty, pretty aggressively on that front. Yeah, well, I, I think yeah, I think it's undisputed that, that you really are the the leader in the market in that way. And um, you mentioned actually, Matt, about uh, excluded obligations. Maybe if you just want to talk a little sure. bit about that because they think that's one area where some underwriters um, have historically been very reluctant to offer coverage. I think the market has really moved on that a lot, um, and that there is now coverage available for at least some excluded obligations. So maybe if you want to just. Uh, Explain yep. to our listeners what is meant by that and, and how how other underwriters are getting comfortable covering those. Sure, sure. I mean, as a former underwriter, I put my underwriting hat on. Uh, it's old and dusty now, but I'll put it on for just a second. Um, <laughs> underwriters don't want to underwrite to a black box in our space, right? They always want some diligence to support uh, the risk that they're taking on. Um, historically, in an asset purchase, we would never get coverage for or rarely, you know, there's an exception to every rule, but not typical to get coverage for excluded liabilities, right? In, in the context of an APA, um, certainly shouldn't be excluded because there's going to be a ton of overlap between a definition of excluded liabilities and the scope of the reps. And I think people uh, don't realize the extent of the excluded liabilities that are being covered just through the, the, the rep package itself. But 
in any event, you don't often get coverage for that line item. Uh, it came up early on with secondaries deals that exclude obligations, the same sort of concept of um, as an excluded liability um, a definition under an APA, really any liabilities of the existing fund that should not port over to or attach to the new fund, the continuation vehicle being set up within the deal. And it ties to, you know, it can tie to legacy obligations, tied to um, distributions, um, uh, certainly taxes at that level, um, any sort of, you know, ownership issue around, um, you know, around the, the interest being transferred at that level. It was kind of a catch-all and it just it was part of and part and parcel of the um, indemnity negotiation on secondaries going back well before our involvement in the space. And so the mandate early on was, can we get coverage for that as well? This is already a pretty low risk, um, uh, should be a low risk trade for the insurer. We want this piece included as it's you know, a standard part of our traditional indemnity package and lead investors and buyers are going to feel as though they're not getting a complete uh, solution without it. And so we talked to Carrots. You guys were extremely helpful, right, on that front. Bob Adansky um, on your team did a ton of work because we only had one or one carrier really initially, um, CFC, that agreed to cover this, and that's why CFC has grown. I think the way they have um, in terms of, of market share uh, in the secondary space. But Bob did a ton of work, you know, talking to other carriers as well, explaining why historically this has not yielded um, large losses in secondaries deals absent insurance, right? It's, it's not been uh, an actionable risk historically for folks. Um, and if it's going to get our buyers to a place where they would be more comfortable and more willing to use insurance as an alternative, uh, probably makes sense as a business matter uh, to, to go there and to do it, even though you wouldn't see it on a, a regular buyout. Yeah, well, we, we agree. And uh, we, somebody at CFC called referred to Bob as putting the fun in funds, which I can never forget. <laughs> yeah. So do you, can you talk to us? So the, we agree on the EO front. We, yeah. we yeah. have lots of markets getting comfortable there, but it is a question that we get a lot as Brian, mm -hmm. you know, did. Um, but can you discuss a little about how the call works and how the, the agendas and the underwriting calls different from a regular buyout deal? Yeah, and there's a more there's uh, some variance here as well, right? Depending upon um, who um, is sort of getting us involved initially, whether it's the sponsor or the lead right. investor, uh, what level of coverage you want, and also there are some secondary deals that look just like buyouts, right? I mean, we will there see are. deals yeah. where there's a full slate of reps negotiated, and that's going to impact um, and this part of the process. Well, right. exactly right, exactly right. Uh, I'll, I'll say on a traditional GP led, the way it would normally work is. Uh, we have, and, and this all moves much more quickly than a buyout transaction again, because there's not, uh, um, you know, a ton of diligence reports to go through. The carriers aren't going into like litigation folders and, the, you know, in the data room and stuff like that. It's much more high level. We generally are doing one call with the sponsor, with the GP, uh, and they're often the ones kind of leading the charge more so than in a buyout um, for the insurance placement. And that affords the carrier an opportunity to actually understand a little bit more about the operations of the portfolio company. It's not a knowledge, you know, issue for them. It's not mm -hmm. a, you know, that the GP is, is necessarily an insured on the deal that it can be. Uh, this really allows the carrier to get a little bit more information about the portfolio company, the business that they're underwriting at the end of the day, or, or business is, right? If it's a multi-asset deal, uh, then a straight call with the, you know, the lead investor who's not going to do as much of the traditional diligence. There is a separate call with the lead investor as well, and they will walk through the work that they've done, certainly financial modeling, why they're interested in the deal, their historic exposure to the GP and so forth, um, uh, and the diligence they have done, which is typically around higher level stuff, right? Um, ownership authority, lean searches, um, everything at the fund level, consents, you know, that, that sort of thing. 
So both calls combined are roughly an hour, right? You think about your, your normal, regular way buyout deal, you're probably dealing with a two-hour phone call, although that number is coming down on, on regular way deals. Uh, these are usually you know, two calls each a half hour, maybe 40 minutes max um, to walk through these items. And the carriers, again, with you guys helping out from the diligence side, I think Bob has done a great job of helping the carriers to winnow down the questions that they want to ask and how, how to go about asking those questions. Um, it, it should be even more painless than than a regular way deal. Yeah, it definitely is much more painless. That's for sure. And from my standpoint, that's for sure. Yeah, so I think it's been wonderful information, Matt, and very informative for any, for everybody. Is there is there anything else you would uh, like for people to know about secondaries before we head into our final section here? Our kind of fun game section that we play with everybody, but um, anything else? No, I, go to the order here before we go on. I, I like to make sure they know how to, how to reach me. <laughs> no, that, 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 that was a joke. That was a joke. Uh, no, I mean, I think um, I, I'm just very excited about this market. We, we've done a lot of work on our side, on the broker side to understand this marketplace a lot better. Um, you know, we know a ton of the players now uh, on the lead investor side, the banking side, the, you know, the legal side, certainly all facets of the transaction. I, I, I would love for just GPs generally to know that this is an option for them, right? And it's going to serve the same purpose, hopefully at a lower cost and with less intrusion uh, than a traditional placement. Um, and I just want to see the market grow. I mean, that, that's basically what we do. We try to come up with solutions that are useful to our clients and hopefully cost effective as well. Um, and if we create some efficiency there, that's the beauty of, of most everything that we do in the rep space, I think, is that it's not born out of, and I said this again in a million meetings, it's not born out of a concern over risk transfer initially. It's not like people wake up and said, oh my God, I'm afraid I'm going to have a claim. I need to go get insurance to cover myself off on this. It's really taking what all insurance is based on, low probability of a high severity event and applying insurance over that, uh, you know, that risk profile. And if we can do that smartly and effectively and efficiently, I think we can unlock a lot of time and money and brain damage um, in the secondaries market the same way we have in, uh, you know, in the buyout space. Well, that's all been very helpful. And I hope our listeners have enjoyed this conversation with you. And I'm sure you're going to get lots of emails and calls from all of our many, many <laughs> hundreds <laughs> out there. Brian's mom already called me. Happy birthday. No. She's on the other line. She's on the other line. She wants to buy insurance on a secondary. How about that? You know. But now she understands it. Now no more questions. Great. All right. So now we're moving into our, as Brian said, our fun game section of the call. So we have three questions. The first two questions are the same for every guest. And the third question is a mystery fun question. So our first question is, what is the biggest change you think we'll see in transactional risk in the next year? Biggest change that we will see, um, I think pricing is going to continue to be in flux. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we do is based on the overall market and the volume of deals in the market. Um, have seen some green shoots over the last just seven to 10 days with deals starting to come back. Um, I think the pendulum at some point is going to swing back in the other direction. I mean, rates now have dived down below 3%. Some carriers you know, are completely allergic to that. Um, I think it's a healthy market for everybody, client and underwriter alike, when we're somewhere in that like three, three and a half percent range, you know, and there's that tension there uh, between too cheap and too expensive. Um, at, once the M&A market comes back and, and deals start flowing again, I, I think, I don't know that we're going to get back to 2021 levels or, you know, Q4 of 2020, but I would not be shocked to see things really, really heat up in the second half of this year. You know, once FOMO sets in and, and people start spending money again on deals, you just see, you know, a rush, uh, you know, a rush to the marketplace. So. Well, that is what we're hearing the second half of the year. So fingers crossed for sure, yep. all around. Okay. And the second question is, 
what is a piece of career advice you would give someone who's interested in working in this industry? That's a great one. Um, I mean, I would say, don't be afraid to take a risk, you know, do your diligence and, and take a calculated <laughs> risk, but that was good. yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, again, the call that I got, I didn't know what the hell I was jumping into back in, in, in 2008, 2007, 2008, when I got into the space and it's just been, you know, a phenomenal, phenomenal move for me from personal perspective, more time, you know, not much more time because we do work like, like crazy, but, um, more time with my family, more control over my schedule, being more entrepreneurial, kind of driving my own destiny, my own, my own sort of business, working with great, great partners, you know, the guys that I work with and, and the gals that I work with, you know, for years now become just, you know, they're like family, you know, it's, it goes beyond, um, friendship or professional friendship. And, you know, we're all just pulling for each other and trying to support and grow this business as best we can. And none of that would have happened had I not, um, you know, taking that initial risk and have my wife not give me permission to take that initial risk, I should say. Oh, as that's well. very so, nice to give her. Yeah, because we did have some yeah. long talks about it. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> sure. right. and, that, and, that sounds, and that sounds very familiar, Matt. Uh, you know, I think uh, we also took a risk of, um, you know, four or five years ago now, I guess, in, in getting this practice off the ground. And, and you also were helpful yep. and encouraged us. I think you gave us that same advice then. So, um, so we appreciate that and, uh, and, and definitely agree with you 100% on, on that advice for everybody. So, okay, Matt. So the final fun question that we have for you, um, a little birdie who we were hanging out with recently told us that Matt Hines is going to be present at a very, very famous horse race that is occurring in the state of Kentucky uh in roughly a month from now the kentucky derby that you're going to be there so so we want to know you know what are you looking forward to with the derby do you have like a steer sucker suit uh some crazy dress that sort of thing and i'm asking this question because i am actually a very big horse racing uh fan and really enjoy horse racing so i'm very i've never been to the kentucky derby i have been to other triple crown races but i'm very jealous that you're you're going to be there. And I want to find out, uh, you know, what you're looking forward to with it. I, I look forward to it all. I mean, I look forward to getting there, first of all, for the Oaks on Friday, which is a great oh, time yeah. in and of itself. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the race on Saturday. Um, I do enjoy wearing seersucker. I do enjoy uh, uh, smoking a cigar while wearing a fedora as well. I feel like I'm at, you know, uh, some sort of character out of Mad Men or something like that. So <laughs> um, I, I'm not I'm not planning on winning any money. I'm not, I'm not a good handicapper. You need me to send um, you the bets then. So I'm happy. Yeah, if you can give me any sort of advice or any sort of um, you know, uh, uh, secret <laughs> info, that that would be hugely helpful. No, it's, it's just a great time. I've been once before uh, with the same little birdie. I, I'm assuming who gave you that information. So uh, it, it's going to be a great time. A really really fun day. Yeah. That, that that's great. That sounds fantastic. And yeah, I went I went to the Preakness seven or eight times, and I've been to the Belmont Stakes a couple of times too. So it yeah. is uh, those races are a lot of fun. So one, one of my right. one of my favorite days of my, of my so my life as a sports fan was going to the Belmont back in uh, I guess it was '99. Um, Mets Yanks played that day, and then LJ's uh, four point play was that was that same day as well. And I managed to. To catch all three over the course of a very long day in my 20s as you might imagine <laughs> well there, there you go there you go that sounds like a sounds like a great time so great well thanks so much matt thank you very much for coming uh, uh on the show and being with us here today and if anybody yeah. would like to get a hold of you what's what's the best way to reach you um my information is hopefully out there but my, my email address you know m-h-e-i-n-z at lockton.com pretty simple m-hines at lockton.com and um 
yeah, anybody who wants to who wants to chat about secondaries or otherwise, always happy to um, to have a conversation. We um, we really like what we do. We think we're pretty good at what we do, and um, uh, I'd like to believe our clients clients agree with that. So, well, we think you're pretty we good agree. at what you do too. For sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, well, thanks so much, Matt. We really appreciate you being on. And Jenna, we have concluded another podcast. Uh, my mother now knows everything about secondaries on her birthday. Like, what could be better than that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it was great to see you guys and thanks so much for joining us and happy birthday to Brian's mom. Great. Thank you. Well, thank thank you. you guys so much. It was great. Great chatting. I appreciate it. Great. Well, thank you, Matt. And for all of our listeners, until next time. Thank you for listening to Into the Breach. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, please visit rwipodcast.com. The views and opinions expressed by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Cyfarth Shaw, LLP, its partners, or its employees. The podcast does not provide legal or other professional services. This podcast is made available by the lawyer publishers for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and the lawyer publishers. The podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. As defined in the State Bar of New York's Code of Professional Responsibility, this podcast is considered a form of attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee similar outcomes. Thank you.